Question 51 of Summa Theologica Pars Prima on the Angels and on the Six Days. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Jim Ruddy. Summa Theologica Pars Prima on the Angels and on the Six Days by St. Thomas Aquinas translated by the fathers of the english dominican province question fifty one of the angels in comparison with bodies we next inquire about the angels in comparison with corporeal things and in the first place about their comparison with bodies secondly of the angels in comparison with corporeal places and thirdly of their comparison with local movement under the first heading there are three points of inquiry whether angels have bodies naturally united to them, whether they assume bodies, and whether they exercise functions of life in the bodies assumed. First article, whether the angels have bodies naturally united to them. Objection 1. It would seem that angels have bodies naturally united to them, for origin says it is god's attributes alone that is it belongs to the father the son and the holy ghost as a property of nature that he is understood to exist without any material substance and without any companionship of corporeal addition bernard likewise says let us assign incorporeity to god alone even as we do immortality whose nature alone neither for its own sake nor on account of anything else needs the help of any corporeal organ but it is clear that every created spirit needs corporeal substance augustine also says the demons are called animals of the atmosphere because their nature is akin to that of aerial bodies but the nature of demons and angels is the same therefore angels have bodies naturally united to them objection two further gregory calls an angel a rational animal but every animal is composed of body and soul therefore angels have bodies naturally united to them objection three further life is more perfect in the angels than in souls but the soul not only lives but gives life to the body therefore the angels animate bodies which are naturally united to them on the contrary dionysius says the angels are understood to be incorporeal i answer that the angels have not bodies naturally united to them for whatever belongs to any nature as an accident is not found universally in that nature thus for instance to have wings because it is not of the essence of an animal does not belong to every animal now since to understand is not the act of a body nor of any corporeal energy as will be shown later it follows that to have a body united to it is not of the nature of an intellectual substance as such but it is accidental to some intellectual substance on account of something else even so it belongs to the human soul to be united to a body because it is imperfect and exists potentially in the genus of intellectual substances not having the fullness of knowledge in its own nature but acquiring it from sensible things through the bodily senses as will be explained later on now whenever we find something imperfect in any genus we must presuppose something perfect in that genus 
Therefore, in the intellectual nature there are some perfectly intellectual substances which do not in need to acquire knowledge from sensible things. Consequently, not all intellectual substances are united to bodies, but some are quite separated from bodies, and these we call angels. Reply to Objection 1. As was said above, it was the opinion of some that every being is a body, and consequently some seem to have thought that there were no incorporeal substances existing except as united to bodies, so much so that some even held that God was the soul of the world, as Augustine tells us. As this is contrary to Catholic faith, which asserts that God is exalted above all things, according to the Psalms, thy magnificence is exalted beyond the heavens, Origen, while refusing to say such a thing of God, followed the above opinion of others regarding the other substances, being deceived here, as he was also in many other points, by following the opinions of the ancient philosophers. Bernard's expression can be explained that the created spirit needs some bodily instrument which is not naturally united to it, but assumed for some purpose, as will be explained. Augustine speaks not as asserting the fact, but merely using the opinion of the Platonists, who maintained that there are some aerial animals which they termed demons. Reply to objection 2. Gregory calls the angel a rational animal metaphorically on account of the likeness to the rational nature. Reply to objection 3. To give life effectively is a perfection simply speaking. Hence it belongs to God, as is said, the Lord killeth and maketh alive. But to give life formally belongs to a substance which is part of some nature and which has not within itself the full nature of the species. Hence an intellectual substance which is not united to a body is more perfect than one which is united to a body. Second article, whether angels assume bodies. Objection 1. It would seem that angels do not assume bodies, for there is nothing superfluous in the work of an angel, as there is nothing of the kind in the work of nature. But it would be superfluous for the angels to assume bodies, because an angel has no need for a body, since his own power exceeds all bodily power. Therefore an angel does not assume a body. Objection too. Further, every assumption is terminated in some union, because to assume implies a taking to oneself. But a body is not united to an angel as to a form, as stated, while in so far as it is united to the angel as to a mover, it is not said to be assumed, otherwise it would follow that all bodies moved by the angels are assumed by them. Therefore the angels do not assume bodies. Objection 3. Further, angels do not assume bodies from the earth or water, or they could not suddenly disappear, nor again from fire, otherwise they would burn whatever things they touched, nor again from air, because air is without shape or color, therefore the angels do not assume bodies. On the contrary, Augustine says that angels appeared to Abraham under assumed bodies. I answer that some have maintained that the angels never assume bodies, but that all that we read in scripture of apparitions of angels happened in prophetic vision, that is, according to imagination. 
but this is contrary to the intent of scripture for whatever is beheld in imaginary vision is only in the beholder's imagination and consequently is not seen by everybody yet divine scripture from time to time introduces angels so apparent as to be seen commonly by all just as the angels who appeared to abraham were seen by him and by his whole family by lot and by the citizens of sodom in like manner the angel who appeared to tobias was seen by all present from all this it is clearly shown that such apparitions were beheld by bodily vision whereby the object seen exists outside the person beholding it and can accordingly be seen by all now by such a vision only a body can be beheld consequently since the angels are not bodies nor have they bodies naturally united with them as is clear from what has been said it follows that they sometimes assume bodies reply to objection one angels need an assumed body not for themselves but on our account that by conversing familiarly with men they may give evidence of that intellectual companionship which men expect to have with them in the life to come moreover that angels assumed bodies under the old law was a figurative indication that the word of god would take a human body because all the apparitions in the old testament were ordained to that one whereby the son of god appeared in the flesh reply to objection two the body assumed is united to the angel not as its form nor merely as its mover but as its mover represented by the assumed movable body for as in the sacred scripture the properties of intelligible things are set forth by the likenesses of things sensible in the same way by divine power sensible bodies are so fashioned by angels as fittingly to represent the intelligible properties of an angel and this is what we mean by an angel assuming a body reply to objection three although air as long as it is in a state of rarefaction has neither shape nor color yet when condensed it can both be shaped and colored as appears in the clouds even so the angels assume bodies of air condensing it by the divine power in so far as it is needful for forming the assumed body third article whether the angels exercise functions of life in the bodies assumed objection one it would seem that the angels exercise functions of life in assumed bodies for pretense is unbecoming in angels of truth but it would be pretense if the body assumed by them which seems to live and to exercise vital functions did not possess these functions therefore the angels exercise functions of life in the assumed body objection two further in the works of the angels there is nothing without a purpose but eyes nostrils and the other instruments of the senses would be fashioned without a purpose in the body assumed by the angel if he perceived nothing by their means consequently the angel perceives by the assumed body and this is the most special function of life objection three further to move hither and thither is one of the functions of life as the philosopher says but the angels are manifestly seen to move in their assumed bodies for it was said that abraham walked with the angels who had appeared to him bringing them on the way and when tobias said to the angel knowest thou the way that leadeth to the city of medes he answered i know it and i have often walked through all the ways thereof 
Therefore the angels often exercise functions of life in assumed bodies. Objection 4. Further, speech is the function of a living subject, for it is produced by the voice, while the voice itself is a sound conveyed from the mouth. But it is evident from many passages of sacred scripture that angels spoke in assumed bodies. Therefore, in their assumed bodies they exercise functions of life. Objection 5. Further, eating is a purely animal function. Hence the Lord, after his resurrection, ate with his disciples in proof of having resumed life. Now when angels appeared in their assumed bodies, they ate, and Abraham offered them food after having previously adored them as God. Therefore the angels exercised functions of life in assumed bodies. Objection 6. Further, to beget offspring is a vital act, but this has befallen the angels in their assumed bodies, for it is related, After the sons of God went in to the daughters of men, and they brought forth children, these are the mighty men of old, men of renown. Consequently, the angels exercised vital functions in their assumed bodies. On the contrary, the bodies assumed by angels have no life, as was stated in the previous article. Therefore, they cannot exercise functions of life through assumed bodies. I answer that some functions of living subjects have something in common with other operations, just as speech, which is the function of a living creature, agrees with other sounds of inanimate things in so far as it is sound, and walking agrees with other movements in so far as it is movement. Consequently, vital functions can be performed in assumed bodies by the angels as to that which is common in such operations, but not as to that which is special to living subjects, because according to the philosopher, that which has the faculty has the action. Hence nothing can have a function of life except what has life, which is the potential principle of such action. Reply to Objection 1 as it is in no wise contrary to truth for intelligible things to be set forth in scripture under sensible figures since it is not said for the purpose of maintaining that intelligible things are sensible but in order that properties of intelligible things may be understood according to similitude through sensible figures so it is not contrary to the truth of the holy angels that through their assumed bodies they appear to be living men although they are really not. For the bodies are assumed merely for this purpose, that the spiritual properties and works of the angels may be manifested by the properties of man and of his works. This could not so fittingly be done if they were to assume true men, because the properties of such men would lead us to men and not to angels. Reply to Objection 2. Sensation is entirely a vital function. Consequently, it can in no way be said that the angels perceive through the organs of their assumed bodies. Yet such bodies are not fashioned in vain, for they are not fashioned for the purpose of sensation through them, but to this end, that by such bodily organs the spiritual powers of the angels may be made manifest, just as by the eye the power of the angels' knowledge is pointed out, and other powers by the other members, as Dionysius teaches. Reply to Objection 3. Movement coming from a united mover is a proper function of life, but the bodies assumed by the angels are not thus moved, since the angels are not their forms. Yet the angels are moved accidentally when such bodies are moved, since they are in them as movers are in the moved, 
and they are here in such a way as not to be elsewhere which cannot be said of god accordingly although god is not moved when the things are moved in which he exists since he is everywhere yet the angels are moved accidentally according to the movement of the bodies assumed but they are not moved according to the movement of the heavenly bodies even though they be in them as the movers in the things moved because the heavenly bodies do not change place in their entirety nor for the spirit which moves the world is there any fixed locality according to any restricted part of the world's substance which now is in the east and now in the west but according to a fixed quarter because the moving energy is always in the east as stated in the physics reply to objection four properly speaking the angels do not talk through their assumed bodies yet there is a semblance of speech in so far as they fashion sounds in the air like to human voices reply to objection five properly speaking the angels cannot be said to eat because eating involves the taking of food convertible into the substance of the eater although after the resurrection food was not converted into the substance of christ's body but resolved into pre-existing matter nevertheless christ had a body of such a true nature that food could be changed into it since it was a true eating but the food taken by angels was neither changed into the assumed body nor was the body of such a nature that food could be changed into it consequently it was not a true eating but figurative of spiritual eating this is what the angel said to tobias when i was with you i seemed indeed to eat and to drink but i use an invisible meat and drink abraham offered them food deeming them to be men in whom nevertheless he worshipped god as god is wont to be in the prophets as augustine says reply to objection six as augustine says many persons affirm that they have had the experience or have heard from such as have experienced it that the satyrs and fauns whom they common folk call incubi have often presented themselves before women and have sought and procured intercourse with them hence it is folly to deny it but god's holy angels could not fall in such a fashion before the deluge hence by the sons of god are to be understood the sons of seth who were good while by the daughters of men the scripture designates those who sprang from the race of cain nor is it to be wondered at that giants should be born of them for they were not all giants albeit there were many more before than after the deluge still if some are occasionally begotten from demons it is not from the seed of such demons nor from their assumed bodies but from the seed of men taken for the purpose as when the demon assumes first the form of a woman and afterwards of a man just as they take the seed of other things for other generating purposes as augustine says so that the person born is not the child of a demon but of a man the end of question 51. Question 52 of Summa Theologica Pars Prima on the Angels and on the Six Days. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Jim Ruddy. Summa Theologica Pars Prima 
on the angels and on the six days by saint thomas aquinas translated by the fathers of the english dominican province question 52 of the angels in relation to place we now inquire into the place of the angels touching this there are three subjects of inquiry is the angel in a place can he be in several places at once and can several angels be in the same place first article whether an angel is in a place objection one it would seem that an angel is not in a place for boethius says the common opinion of the learned is that things incorporeal are not in a place and again aristotle observes that it is not everything existing which is in a place but only a movable body but an angel is not a body as was shown above therefore an angel is not in a place objection to further place is a quantity having position but everything which is in a place has some position now to have a position cannot befit an angel since his substance is devoid of quantity the proper difference of which is to have a position therefore an angel is not in a place objection three further to be in a place is to be measured and to be contained by such a place as is evident from the philosopher but an angel can neither be measured nor contained by a place because the container is more formal than the contained as air with regard to water therefore an angel is not in a place on the contrary it is said in the collect let thy holy angels who dwell herein keep us in peace i answer that it is befitting an angel to be in a place yet an angel and a body are said to be in a place in quite a different sense a body is said to be in a place in such a way that it is applied to such place according to the contact of dimensive quantity but there is no such quantity in the angels for theirs is a virtual one consequently an angel is said to be in a corporeal place by application of the angelic power in any manner whatever to any place accordingly there is no need for saying that an angel can be deemed commensurate with the place or that he occupies a space in the continuous for this is proper to a located body which is endowed with dimensive quantity in a similar fashion it is not necessary on this account for the angel to be contained by a place because an incorporeal substance virtually contains the thing with which it comes into contact and is not contained by it for the soul is in the body as containing it not as contained by it in the same way an angel is said to be in a place which is corporeal not as the thing contained but as somehow containing it and hereby we have the answer to the objections second article whether an angel can be in several places at once objection one it would seem that an angel can be in several places at once for an angel is not less endowed with power than the soul but the soul is in several places at once for it is entirely in every part of the body as augustine says therefore an angel can be in several places at once objection to further an angel is in the body which he assumes 
and since the body which he assumes is continuous it would appear that he is in every part thereof but according to the various parts there are various places therefore the angel is at one time in various places objection three further damascene says that where the angel operates there he is but occasionally he operates in several places at one time as is evident from the angel destroying sodom therefore an angel can be in several places at the one time on the contrary damascene says that while the angels are in heaven they are not on earth i answer that an angel's power and nature are finite whereas the divine power and essence which is the universal cause of all things is infinite consequently god through his power touches all things and is not merely present in some places but is everywhere now since the angel's power is finite it does not extend to all things but to one determined thing for whatever is compared with one power must be compared therewith as one determined thing consequently since all being is compared as one thing to god's universal power so is one particular being compared as one with the angelic power hence since the angel is in a place by the application of his power to the place it follows that he is not everywhere nor in several places but in only one place some however have been deceived in this matter for some who were unable to go beyond the reach of their imaginations suppose the indivisibility of the angel to be like that of a point consequently they thought that an angel could be only in a place which is a point but they were manifestly deceived because a point is something indivisible yet having its situation whereas the angel is indivisible and beyond the genus of quantity and situation consequently there is no occasion for determining in his regard one indivisible place as to situation any place which is either divisible or indivisible great or small suffices according as to his own free will he applies his power to a great or to a small body so the entire body to which he is applied by his power corresponds as one place to him neither if any angel moves the heavens is it necessary for him to be everywhere first of all because his power is applied only to what is first moved by him now there is one part of the heavens in which there is movement first of all namely the part to the east hence the philosopher attributes the power of the heavenly mover to the part which is in the east secondly because philosophers do not hold that one separate substance moves all the spheres immediately hence it need not be everywhere so then it is evident that to be in a place appertains quite differently to a body to an angel and to god for a body is in a place in a circumscribed fashion since it is measured by the place an angel however is not there in a circumscribed fashion since he is not measured by the place but definitively because he is in a place in such a manner that he is not in another but god is neither circumscriptively nor definitively there because he is everywhere 
From this we can easily gather an answer to the objections, because the entire subject to which the angelic power is immediately applied is reputed as one place, even though it be continuous. Third article, whether several angels can be at the same time in the same place. Objection 1. It would seem that several angels can be at the same time in the same place, for several bodies cannot be at the same time in the same place, because they fill the place. But the angels do not fill a place, because only a body fills a place, so that it be not empty, as appears from the philosopher. Therefore several angels can be in the one place. Objection to further, there is a greater difference between an angel and a body than there is between two angels. But an angel and a body are at the one time in the one place, because there is no place which is not filled with a sensible body, as we find proved in physics. Much more, then, can two angels be in the same place. Objection 3. Further, the soul is in every part of the body according to Augustine, but demons, although they do not obsess souls, do obsess bodies occasionally, and thus the soul and the demon are at the one time in the same place, and consequently for the same reason all other spiritual substances. On the contrary, there are not two souls in the same body. Therefore, for a like reason, there are not two angels in the same place. I answer that there are not two angels in the same place. The reason of this is because it is impossible for two complete causes to be the causes immediately of one and the same thing. This is evident in every class of causes, for there is one principal form of one thing, and there is one proximate mover, although there may be several remote movers. Nor can it be objected that several individuals may row a boat, since no one of them is a perfect mover, because no one man's strength is sufficient for moving the boat, while all together are as one mover, insofar as their united strengths all combine in producing the one movement. Hence, since the angel is said to be in one place by the fact that his power touches the place immediately by way of a perfect container, as was said, there can be but one angel in one place. Reply to Objection 1. Several angels are not hindered from being in the same place because of their filling the place, but for another reason, as has been said. Reply to objection 2. An angel and a body are not in a place in the same way. Hence the conclusion does not follow. Reply to objection 3. Not even a demon and a soul are compared to a body according to the same relation of causality, since the soul is its form while the demon is not. Hence the inference does not follow. The end of question 52. Question 53 of Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, on the Angels and on the Six Days. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Jim Ruddy. Summa Theologica, Pars Prima, on the Angels and on the Six Days by St. Thomas Aquinas. 
Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 53 of the local movement of the angels. We must next consider the local movement of the angels, under which heading there are three points of inquiry whether an angel can be moved locally, whether in passing from place to place he passes through intervening space, and whether the angel's movement is in time or instantaneous. First article, whether an angel can be moved locally. Objection 1. It seems that an angel cannot be moved locally. For as the philosopher proves, nothing which is devoid of parts is moved, because while it is in the term wherefrom, it is not moved, nor while it is in the term whereto, for it is then already moved. Consequently, it remains that everything which is moved, while it is being moved, is partly in the term wherefrom, and partly in the term whereto. But an angel is without parts. Therefore, an angel cannot be moved locally. Objection 2. Further, movement is the act of an imperfect being, as the philosopher says. But a beatified angel is not imperfect. Consequently, a beatified angel is not moved locally. Objection 3. Further, movement is simply because of want. But the holy angels have no want. Therefore, the holy angels are not moved locally. On the contrary, it is the same thing for a beatified angel to be moved as for a beatified soul to be moved. But it must necessarily be said that a blessed soul is moved locally because it is an article of fate that Christ's soul descended into hell. Therefore, a beatified angel is moved locally. I answer that a beatified angel can be moved locally as, however, to be in a place belongs equivocally to a body and to an angel, so likewise does local movement. For a body is in place in so far as it is contained under the place, and is commensurate with the place. Hence it is necessary for local movement of a body to be commensurate with the place and according to its exigency. Hence it is that the continuity of movement is according to the continuity of magnitude and according to priority and posteriority of local movement, as the philosopher says. But an angel is not in a place as commensurate and contained, but rather as containing it. Hence it is not necessary for the local movement of an angel to be commensurate with the place, nor for it to be according to the exigency of the place, so as to have continuity therefrom. But it is a non-continuous movement. For since the angel is in a place only by virtual contact, as was said above, it follows necessarily that the movement of an angel in a place is nothing else than the various contacts of various places successively and not at once, because an angel cannot be in several places at one time, as was said above. Nor is it necessary for these contacts to be continuous. Nevertheless, a certain kind of continuity can be found in such contacts, because, as was said above, there is nothing to hinder us from assigning a divisible place to an angel according to virtual contact, just as a divisible place is assigned to a body by contact of magnitude. Hence, as a body successively, and not all at once, 
quits the place in which it was before, and thence arises continuity in its local movement, so likewise an angel can successively quit the divisible place in which he was before, and so his movement will be continuous, and he can all at once quit the whole place, and in the same instant apply himself to the whole of another place, and thus his movement will not be continuous. Reply to Objection 1. This argument fails of its purpose for a twofold reason. First of all, because Aristotle's demonstration deals with what is indivisible according to quantity, to which responds a place necessarily indivisible, and this cannot be said of an angel. Secondly, because Aristotle's demonstration deals with movement which is continuous. For if the movement were not continuous, it might be said that a thing is moved where it is in the term wherefrom, and while it is in the term whereto, because the very succession of wheres regarding the same thing would be called movement. Hence, in whichever of those wheres the thing might be, it could be said to be moved. But the continuity of movement prevents this, because nothing which is continuous is in its term, as is clear, because the line is not in the point. Therefore it is necessary for the thing moved to be not totally in either of the terms while it is being moved, but partly in the one and partly in the other. Therefore, according as the angel's movement is not continuous, Aristotle's demonstration does not hold good. But according as the angel's movement is held to be continuous, it can be so granted that while an angel is in movement, he is partly in the term wherefrom and partly in the term whereto, yet so that such partiality be not referred to the angel's substance, but to the place. Because at the outset of his continuous movement, the angel is in the whole divisible place from which he begins to be moved. But while he is actually in movement, he is in part of the first place which he quits, and in part of the second place which he occupies. This very fact that he can occupy the parts of two places appertains to the angel from this, that he can occupy a divisible place by applying his power, as a body does by application of magnitude. Hence it follows regarding a body which is movable according to place that it is divisible according to magnitude, but regarding an angel that his power can be applied to something which is divisible. Reply to objection to the movement of that which is in potentiality is the act of an imperfect agent, but the movement which is by application of energy is the act of one in act, because energy implies actuality. Reply to objection 3. The movement of that which is in potentiality is the act of an imperfect. But the movement of what is in act is not for any need of its own, but for another's need. In this way, because of our need, the angel is moved locally. According to Hebrews, they are all ministering spirits sent to minister for them who receive the inheritance of salvation. Second article, whether an angel passes through intermediate space. Objection 1. It would seem that an angel does not pass through it intermediate space, for everything that passes through a middle space first travels along a place of its own dimensions before passing through a greater. But the place responding to an angel who is indivisible is confined to a point, 
Therefore, if the angel passes through middle space, he must reckon infinite points in his movement, which is not possible. Objection 2. Further, an angel is of simpler substance than the soul. But our soul, by taking thought, can pass from one extreme to another without going through the middle. For I can think of France and afterwards of Syria without ever thinking of Italy, which stands between them. Therefore, much more can an angel pass from one extreme to another without going through the middle. On the contrary, if the angel be moved from one place to another, then when he is in the term whither, he is no longer in motion, but is changed. But a process of changing precedes every actual change. Consequently, he was being moved while existing in some place, but he was not moved so long as he was in the term whence. Therefore, he was moved while he was in mid-space, and so it was necessary for him to pass through intervening space. I answer that, as was observed above in the preceding article, the local motion of an angel can be continuous and non-continuous. If it be continuous, the angel cannot pass from one extreme to another without passing through the mid-space, because, as is said by the philosopher, the middle is that into which a thing which is continually moved comes before arriving at the last into which it is moved, because the order of first and last and continuous movement is according to the order of the first and last in magnitude, as he says. But if an angel's movement be not continuous, it is possible for him to pass from one extreme to another without going through the middle, which is evident thus. Between the two extreme limits there are infinite intermediate places, whether the places be taken as divisible or as indivisible. This is clearly evident with regard to places which are indivisible, because between every two points that are infinite, intermediate points, since no two points follow one another without a middle, as is proved in the physics. And the same must of necessity be said of divisible places, and this is shown from the continuous movement of a body, for a body is not moved from place to place except in time. But in the whole time which measures the movement of a body, there are not two nows in which the body moved is not in one place and in another. For if it were in one and the same place in the two nows, it would follow that it would be at rest there, since to be at rest is nothing else than to be in the same place now and previously. Therefore, since there are infinite nows between the first and the last now of the time which measures the movement, there must be infinite places between the first from which the movement begins and the last where the movement ceases. This, again, is made evident from sensible experience. Let there be a body of a palm's length, and let there be a plane measuring two palms along which it travels. It is evident that the first place from which the movement starts is that of the one palm, and the place wherein the movement ends is that of the other palm. Now it is clear that when it begins to move, it gradually quits the first palm and enters the second. According then, as the magnitude of the palm is divided, even so are the intermediate places multiplied, because every distinct point in the magnitude of the first palm is the beginning of a place, and a distinct point in the magnitude of the other palm is the limit of the same. Accordingly, since the magnitude is infinitely divisible, and the points in every magnitude are likewise infinite in potentiality, 
it follows that between every two places there are infinite intermediate places. Now a movable body only exhausts the infinity of the intermediate places by the continuity of its movement, because as the intermediate places are infinite in potentiality, so likewise must there be reckoned some infinitudes in movement which is continuous. Consequently, if the movement be not continuous, then all the parts of the movement will be actually numbered. If therefore any movable body be moved, but not by continuous movement, it follows either that it does not pass through all the intermediate places, or else that it actually numbers infinite places, which is not possible. Accordingly, then, as the angel's movement is not continuous, he does not pass through all intermediate places. Now the actual passing from one extreme to the other without going through the mid-space is quite in keeping with an angel's nature, but not with that of a body, because a body is measured by and contained under a place, hence it is bound to follow the laws of place in its movement. But an angel's substance is not subject to place as contained thereby, but is above it as containing it. Hence it is under his control to apply himself to a place just as he wills, either through or without the intervening place. Reply to Objection 1. The place of an angel is not taken as equal to him according to magnitude, but according to contact of power. And so the angel's place can be divisible and is not always a mere point. Yet even the intermediate divisible places are infinite, as was said above, but they are consumed by the continuity of the movement, as is evident from the foregoing. Reply to Objection 2. While an angel is moved locally, his essence is applied to various places, but the soul's essence is not applied to the things thought of, but rather the things thought of are in it, so there is no comparison. Reply to Objection 3. In continuous movement, the actual change is not a part of the movement, but its conclusion. Hence, movement must precede change. Accordingly, such movement is through the mid-space. But in movement which is not continuous, the change is a part, as a unit is a part of number. Hence, the succession of the various places, even without the mid-space, constitutes such movement. Third article, whether the movement of an angel is instantaneous. Objection 1. It would seem that an angel's movement is instantaneous, for the greater the power of the mover, and the less the moved resists the mover, the more rapid is the movement. But the power of an angel moving himself exceeds beyond all proportion the power which moves the body. Now the proportion of velocities is reckoned according to the lessening of the time. But between one length of time and any other length of time there is proportion. If therefore a body is moved in time, an angel is moved in an instant. Objection to further, the angel's movement is simpler than any bodily change. But some bodily change is effected in an instant, such as illumination, both because the subject is not illuminated successively, as it gets hot successively, and because a ray does not reach sooner what is near than what is remote. Much more, therefore, is the angel's movement instantaneous. Objection 3. Further, if an angel be moved from place to place in time, it is manifest that in the last instant of such time he is in the term whereto. 
but in the whole of the preceding time he is either in the place immediately preceding which is taken as the term wherefrom or else he is partly in the one and partly in the other it follows that he is divisible which is impossible therefore during the whole of the preceding time he is in the term wherefrom therefore he rests there since to be at rest is to be in the same place now and previously as was said therefore it follows that he is not moved except in the last instant of time on the contrary in every change there is a before and after now the before and after of movement is reckoned by time consequently every movement even of an angel is in time since there is a before and after in it i answer that some have maintained that the local movement of an angel is instantaneous they said that when an angel is moved from place to place during the whole of the preceding time he is in the term wherefrom but in the last instant of such time he is in the term whereto nor is there any need for a medium between the terms just as there is no medium between time and the limit of time but there is a mid-time between two nows of time hence they say that a last now cannot be assigned in which it was in the term wherefrom just as in illumination and in the substantial generation of fire there is no last instant to be assigned in which the air was dark or in which the matter was under the privation of the form of fire but a last time can be assigned so that in the last instant of such time there is light in the air or the form of fire in the matter and so illumination and substantial generation are called instantaneous movements but this does not hold good in the present case and it is shown thus it is of the nature of rest that the subject in repose be not otherwise disposed now than it was before and therefore in every now of time which measures rest the subject reposing is in the same where in the first in the middle and in the last now on the other hand it is of the very nature of movement for the subject moved to be otherwise now than it was before and therefore in every now of time which measures movement the movable subject is in various dispositions hence in the last now it must have a different form from what it had before so it is evident that to rest during the whole time in some disposition for instance in whiteness is to be in it in every instant of such time hence it is not possible for anything to rest in one term during the whole of the preceding time and afterwards in the last instant of that time to be in the other term but this is possible in movement because to be moved in any whole time is not to be in the same disposition in every instant of that time therefore all instantaneous changes of the kind are terms of a continuous movement just as generation is the term of the alteration of matter and illumination is the term of the local movement of the illuminating body now the local movement of an angel is not the term of any other continuous movement but is of itself depending upon no other movement consequently it is impossible to say that he is in any place during the whole time and that in the last now he is in another place but some now must be assigned in which he was last in the preceding place but where there are many nows succeeding one another there is necessarily time since time is nothing else than the reckoning of before and after in movement 
It remains, then, that the movement of an angel is in time. It is in continuous time if his movement be continuous, and in non-continuous time if his movement is non-continuous. For as was said, his movement can be of either kind, since the continuity of time comes of the continuity of movement, as the philosopher says. But that time, whether it be continuous or not, is not the same as the time which measures the movement of the heavens, and whereby all corporeal things are measured, which have their changeableness from the movement of the heavens, because the angel's movement does not depend upon the movement of the heavens. Reply to Objection 1. If the time of the angel's movement be not continuous, but a kind of succession of nows, it will have no proportion to the time which measures the movement of corporeal things which is continuous, since it is not of the same nature. If, however, it be continuous, it is indeed proportionable, not indeed because of the proportion of the mover and the movable, but on account of the proportion of the magnitudes in which the movement exists. Besides, the swiftness of the angel's movement is not measured by the quantity of his power, but according to the determination of his will. Reply to Objection 2. Illumination is the term of a movement, and is an alteration, not a local movement, as though the light were understood to be moved to what is near, before being moved to what is remote. But the angel's movement is local, and besides, it is not the term of movement, hence there is no comparison. Reply to Objection 3. This objection is based on continuous time, but the same time of an angel's movement can be non-continuous. So an angel can be in one place in one instant, and in another place in the next instant, without any time intervening. If the time of the angel's movement be continuous, he is changed through infinite places throughout the whole time which precedes the last now, as was already shown. Nevertheless, he is partly in one of the continuous places and partly in another, not because his substance is susceptible of parts, but because his power is applied to a part of the first place and to a part of the second, as was said above. The End of Question 53「Question 54 of Summa Theologica Pars Prima on the Angels and on the Six Days. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Jim Ruddy. Summa Theologica Pars Prima on the Angels and on the Six Days by St. Thomas Aquinas. Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 54. Of the Knowledge of the Angels. After considering what belongs to the angel's substance, we now proceed to his knowledge. This investigation will be fourfold. In the first place, inquiry must be made into his power of knowledge. Secondly, into his medium of knowledge, thirdly, into the objects known, and fourthly, into the manner whereby he knows them. Under the first heading there are five points of inquiry. Is the angel's understanding his substance? Is his being his understanding? Is his substance his power of intelligence? 
Is there in the angels an active and a passive intellect? And is there in them any other power of knowledge besides the intellect? First article, whether an angel's act of understanding is his substance. Objection 1. It would seem that the angel's act of understanding is his substance, for the angel is both higher and simpler than the active intellect of a soul, but the substance of the active intellect is its own action, as is evident from Aristotle and from his commentator. Therefore much more is the angel's substance his action, that is, his act of understanding. Objection to further, the philosopher says that the action of the intellect is life, but since in living things to live is to be, as he says, it seems that life is essence. Therefore the action of the intellect is the essence of an angel who understands. Objection 3. Further, if the extremes be one, then the middle does not differ from them, because extreme is farther from extreme than the middle is. But in an angel the intellect and the object understood are the same, at least in so far as he understands his own essence. Therefore the act of understanding, which is between the intellect and the thing understood, is one with the substance of the angel who understands. On the contrary, the action of anything differs more from its substance than does its existence. But no creature's existence is its substance, for this belongs to God only, as is evident from what was said above. Therefore, neither the action of an angel nor of any other creature is its substance. I answer that it is impossible for the action of an angel or of any creature to be its own substance. For an action is properly the actuality of a power, just as existence is the actuality of a substance or of an essence. Now it is impossible for anything which is not a pure act, but which has some admixture of potentiality, to be its own actuality, because actuality is opposed to potentiality. But God alone is pure act. Hence only in God is his substance the same as his existence and his action. Besides, if an angel's act of understanding were his substance, it would be necessary for it to be subsisting. Now a subsisting act of intelligence can be but one, just as an abstract thing that subsists. Consequently, an angel's substance would neither be distinguished from God's substance, which is his very act of understanding subsisting in itself, nor from the substance of another angel. Also, if the angel were his own act of understanding, there could then be no degrees of understanding more or less perfectly, for this comes about through the diverse participation of the act of understanding. Reply to Objection 1. When the active intellect is said to be its own action, such predication is not essential but concomitant, because since its very nature consists in act, instantly so far as lies in itself, action accompanies it, which cannot be said of the passive intellect, for this has no actions until after it has been reduced to act. Reply to Objection 2. The relation between life and to live 
is not the same as that between essence and to be, but rather as that between a race and to run, one of which signifies the act in the abstract and the other in the concrete. Hence it does not follow, if to live is to be, that life is then essence, although life is sometimes put for the essence, as Augustine says. Memory and understanding and will are one essence, one life, yet it is not taken in this sense by the philosopher when he says that the act of the intellect is life. Reply to Objection 3. The action, which is transient, passing to some extrinsic object, is really a medium between the agent and the subject receiving the action. The action which remains within the agent is not really a medium between the agent and the object, but only according to the manner of expression, for it really follows the union of the object with the agent. For the act of understanding is brought about by the union of the object understood with the one who understands it, as an effect which differs from both. Second article, whether in the angel to understand is to exist. Objection 1. It would seem that in the angel to understand is to exist, for in living things to live is to be, as the philosopher says, but to understand is in a sense to live, therefore in the angel to understand is to exist. Objection 2. Further, cause bears the same relation to cause as effect to effect, but the form whereby the angel exists is the same as the form by which he understands at least himself. Therefore, in the angel, to understand is to exist. On the contrary, the angel's act of understanding is of movement, as is clear from Dionysius. But to exist is not movement. Therefore, in the angel, to be is not to understand. I answer that the action of the angel, as also the action of any creature, is not his existence. For, as it is said, there is a twofold class of action, one which passes out to something beyond and causes passion in it, as burning and cutting, and another which does not pass outwards, but which remains within the agent, as to feel, to understand, to will. By such actions nothing outside is changed, but the whole action takes place within the agent. It is quite clear regarding the first kind of action that it cannot be the agent's very existence because the agent's existence is signified as within him, while such an action denotes something as issuing from the agent into the thing done. But the second action of its own nature has infinity, either simple or relative. As an example of simple infinity, we have the act to understand of which the object is the true and the act to will, of which the object is the good, each of which is convertible with being. And so to understand and to will of themselves bear relation to all things, and each receives its species from its object. But the act of sensation is relatively infinite, for it bears relation to all sensible things, as sight does to all things visible. Now the being of every creature is restricted to one in genus and species. God's being alone is simply infinite, comprehending all things in itself, as Dionysius says. Hence the divine nature alone is its own act of understanding and its own act of will. Reply to Objection 1. 
life is sometimes taken for the existence of the living subject, sometimes also for a vital operation, that is, for one whereby something is shown to be living. In this way the philosopher says that to understand is, in a sense, to live, for there he distinguishes the various grades of living things according to the various functions of life. Reply to Objection 2. The essence of an angel is the reason of his entire existence, but not the reason of his whole act of understanding, since he cannot understand everything by his essence. Consequently, in its own specific nature as such an essence, it is compared to the existence of the angel, whereas to his act of understanding it is compared as included in the idea of a more universal object, namely truth and being. Thus it is evident that although the form is the same, yet it is not the principle of existence and of understanding according to the same formality. On this account it does not follow that in the angel to be is the same as to understand. Third article, whether an angel's power of intelligence is his essence. Objection 1. It would seem that in the angel the power or faculty of understanding is not different from his essence. For mind and intellect express the power of understanding, but in many passages of his writings Dionysius styles angels intellects and minds. Therefore the angel is his own power of intelligence. Objection 2. Further, if the angel's power of intelligence be anything besides his essence, then it must needs be an accident. For that which is besides the essence of anything, we call it accident. But a simple form cannot be a subject, as Boethius states. Thus an angel would not be a simple form, which is contrary to what has been previously said. Objection 3. Further, Augustine says that God made the angelic nature nigh unto himself, while he made primary matter nigh unto nothing, from this it would seem that the angel is of a simpler nature than primary matter as being closer to God. But primary matter is its own power. Therefore much more is an angel his own power of intelligence. On the contrary, Dionysius says that the angels are divided into substance, power, and operation. Therefore substance, power, and operation are all distinct in them. I answer that neither in an angel nor in any creature is the power or operative faculty the same as its essence, which is made evident thus. Since every power is ordained to an act, then according to the diversity of acts must be the diversity of powers. And on this account it is said that each proper act responds to its proper power, but in every creature the essence differs from the existence and is compared to it as potentiality is to act, as is evident from what has been already said. Now the act to which the operative power is compared is operation. But in the angel to understand is not the same as to exist, nor is any operation in him, nor in any other created thing, the same as his existence. Hence the angel's essence is not his power of intelligence, nor is the essence of any creature its power of operation. Reply to Objection 1. An angel is called intellect and mind because all his knowledge is intellectual, whereas the knowledge of a soul is partly intellectual and partly sensitive. Reply to Objection 2. A simple form which is pure act 
cannot be the subject of an accident, because subject is compared to accident as potentiality is to act. God alone is such a form, and of such is Boethius speaking there. But a simple form which is not its own existence, but is compared to it as potentiality is to act, can be the subject of an accident, and especially of such accident as follows the species, for such accident belongs to the form, whereas an accident which belongs to the individual and which does not belong to the whole species results from the matter which is the principle of individuation. And such a simple form is an angel. Reply to Objection 3. The power of matter is a potentiality in regard to substantial being itself, whereas the power of operation regards accidental being. Hence there is no comparison. Fourth article, whether there is an active and a passive intellect in an angel. Objection 1. It would seem that there is both an active and passive intellect in an angel. The philosopher says that in the soul, just as in every nature, there is something whereby it can become all things, and there is something whereby it can make all things. But an angel is a kind of nature. Therefore, there is an active and passive intellect in an angel. Objection 2. Further, the proper function of the passive intellect is to receive, whereas to enlighten is the proper function of the active intellect, as is made clear in De Anima. But an angel receives enlightenment from a higher angel, and enlightens a lower one. Therefore there is in him an active and a passive intellect. On the contrary, this distinction of active and passive intellect in us is in relation to the phantasms, which are compared to the passive intellect as colors to the sight, but to the active intellect as colors to the light, as is clear from De Anima. But this is not so in the angel. Therefore, there is no active and passive intellect in the angel. I answer that... The necessity for admitting a passive intellect in us is derived from the fact that we understand sometimes only in potentiality and not actually. Hence there must exist some power which previous to the act of understanding is in potentiality to intelligible things, but which becomes actuated in their regard when it apprehends them and still more when it reflects upon them. This is the power which is denominated the passive intellect. The necessity for admitting an active intellect is due to this, that the natures of material things which we understand do not exist outside the soul as immaterial and actually intelligible, but are only intelligible in potentiality so long as they are outside the soul. Consequently, it is necessary that there should be some power capable of rendering such natures actually intelligible, and this power in us is called the active intellect. But each of these necessities is absent from the angels. They are neither sometimes understanding only in potentiality with regard to such things as they naturally apprehend, nor again are their intelligible objects intelligible in potentiality, but they are actually such, for they first and principally understand immaterial things, as will appear later. Therefore there cannot be an active and a passive intellect in them except equivocally. Reply to Objection 1. As the words themselves show, the philosopher understands those two things to be in every nature in which there chances to be generation or making. 
Knowledge, however, is not generated in the angels, but is present naturally. Hence there is no need for admitting an active and a passive intellect in them. Reply to objection 2. It is the function of the active intellect to enlighten not another intellect, but things which are intelligible in potentiality, in so far as by abstraction it makes them to be actually intelligible. It belongs to the passive intellect to be in potentiality with regard to things which are naturally capable of being known, and sometimes to apprehend them actually. Hence, for one angel to enlighten another does not belong to the notion of an active intellect, neither does it belong to the passive intellect for the angel to be enlightened with regard to supernatural mysteries, to the knowledge of which he is sometimes in potentiality. But if anyone wishes to call these by the names of active and passive intellect, he will then be speaking equivocally, and it is not about names that we need trouble. Fifth article, whether there is only intellectual knowledge in the angels. Objection 1. It would seem that the knowledge of the angels is not exclusively intellectual, for Augustine says that in the angels there is life which understands and feels. Therefore there is a sensitive faculty in them as well. Objection 2. Further, Isidore says that the angels have learnt many things by experience, but experience comes of many remembrances as stated in the metaphysics. Consequently they have likewise a power of memory. Objection 3. Further, Dionysius says that there is a sort of perverted fantasy in the demons but fantasy belongs to the imaginative faculty therefore the power of the imagination is in the demons and for the same reason it is in the angels since they are of the same nature on the contrary gregory says that man senses in common with the brutes and understands with the angels i answer that in our souls there are certain powers whose operations are exercised by corporeal organs. Such powers are acts of sundry parts of the body, as sight of the eye and hearing of the ear. There are some other powers of the soul whose operations are not performed through bodily organs as intellect and will. These are not acts of any parts of the body. Now the angels have no bodies naturally joined to them, as is manifest from what has been said already. Hence, of the soul's powers, only intellect and will can belong to them. The commentator says the same thing, namely that the separated substances are divided into intellect and will, and it is in keeping with the order of the universe for the highest intellectual creature to be entirely intelligent and not in part as is our soul. For this reason the angels are called intellects and minds, as was said above. A twofold answer can be returned to the contrary objections. First, it may be replied that those authorities are speaking according to the opinion of such men as contended that angels and demons have bodies naturally united to them. Augustine often makes use of this opinion in his books, although he does not mean to assert it. Hence he says that such an inquiry does not call for much labor. Secondly, it may be said that such authorities and the like are to be understood by way of similitude, because, since sense has a sure apprehension of its proper sensible object, it is a common usage of speech when we understand something for certain to say that we sense it, and hence it is that we use the word sentence. 
experience can be attributed to the angels according to the likeness of the things known, although not by likeness of the faculty knowing them. We have experience when we know single objects through the senses. The angels likewise know single objects, as we shall show, yet not through the senses. But memory can be allowed in the angels according as Augustine puts it in the mind, although it cannot belong to them insofar as it is a part of the sensitive soul. In like fashion, a perverted fantasy is attributed to demons, since they have a false practical estimate of what is the true good, while deception in us comes properly from the fantasy, whereby we sometimes hold fast to images of things as to the things themselves, as is manifest in sleepers and lunatics. The end of question 54. Question 55 of Summa Theologica Pars Prima on the Angels and on the Six Days. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Jim Ruddy. Summa Theologica Pars Prima on the Angels and on the Six Days by St. Thomas Aquinas translated by the fathers of the english dominican province question fifty five of the medium of the angelic knowledge next in order the question arises as to the medium of the angelic knowledge under this heading there are three points of inquiry do the angels know everything by their substance or by some species if by species is it by conatural species or is it by such as they have derived from things and do the higher angels know by more universal species than the lower angels? First article, whether the angels know all things by their substance. Objection 1. It would seem that the angels know all things by their substance. For Dionysius says that the angels, according to the proper nature of a mind, know the things which are happening upon earth. But the angel's nature is his essence, therefore the angel knows things by his essence. Objection two. Further, according to the philosopher, in things which are without matter, the intellect is the same as the object understood. But the object understood is the same as the one who understands it as regards that whereby it is understood. Therefore, in things without matter, such as the angels, the medium whereby the object is understood is the very substance of the one understanding it. Objection 3. Further, everything which is contained in another is there according to the mode of the container. But an angel has an intellectual nature. Therefore, whatever is in him is there in an intelligible mode. But all things are in him, because the lower orders of beings are essentially in the higher, while the higher are in the lower participatively. And therefore Dionysius says that God enfolds the whole in the whole, that is, all in all. Therefore the angel knows all things in his substance. On the contrary, Dionysius says that the angels are enlightened by the forms of things. Therefore they know by the forms of things and not by their own substance. I answer that the medium through which the intellect understands is compared to the intellect understanding it as its form because it is by the form that the agent acts. Now in order that the faculty may be perfectly completed by the form, 
It is necessary for all things to which the faculty extends to be contained under the form. Hence it is that in things which are corruptible, the form does not perfectly complete the potentiality of the matter, because the potentiality of the matter extends to more things that are contained under this or that form. But the intellective power of the angel extends to understanding all things, because the object of the intellect is universal being or universal truth. The angel's essence, however, does not comprise all things in itself, since it is an essence restricted to a genus and species. This is proper to the divine essence, which is infinite, simply and perfectly to comprise all things in itself. Therefore God alone knows all things by his essence, but an angel cannot know all things by his essence, and his intellect must be perfected by some species in order to know things. Reply to Objection 1. When it is said that the angel knows things according to his own nature, the words according to does not determine the medium of such knowledge, since the medium is the similitude of the thing known but they denote the knowing power which belongs to the angel of his own nature. Reply to Objection 2. As the sense in act is the sensible in act, as stated in De Anima, not so that the sensitive power is the sensible object's likeness contained in the sense, but because one thing is made from both as from act and potentiality, so likewise the intellect in act is said to be the thing understood in act, not that the substance of the intellect is itself the similitude by which it understands, but because that similitude is its form. Now it is precisely the same thing to say, in things which are without matter, the intellect is the same thing as the object understood, as to say that the intellect in act is the thing understood in act, for a thing is actually understood precisely because it is immaterial. Reply to Objection 3. The things which are beneath the angel and those which are above him are in a measure in his substance, not indeed perfectly, nor according to their own proper formality, because the angel's essence as being finite is distinguished by its own formality from other things, but according to some common formality. Yet all things are perfectly and according to their own formality in God's essence, as in the first and universal operative power from which proceeds whatever is proper or common to anything. Therefore God has a proper knowledge of all things by his own essence, and this the angel has not, but only a common knowledge. Second article, whether the angels understand by species drawn from things. Objection 1. It would seem that the angels understand by species drawn from things, for everything understood is apprehended by some likeness within him who understands it. But the likeness of the thing existing in another is there either by way of an exemplar, so that the likeness is the cause of the thing, or else by way of an image, so that it is caused by such thing. All knowledge, then, of the person understanding must either be the cause of the object understood or else caused by it. Now the angel's knowledge is not the cause of existing things. That belongs to the divine knowledge alone. Therefore it is necessary for the species by which the angelic mind understands to be derived from things. Objection to further, the angelic light is stronger than the light of the active intellect of the soul. But the light of the active intellect abstracts intelligible species from phantasms. 
Therefore the light of the angelic mind can also abstract species from sensible things. So there is nothing to hinder us from saying that the angel understands through species drawn from things. Objection 3. Further, the species in the intellect are indifferent to what is present or distant, except in so far as they are taken from sensible objects. Therefore, if the angel does not understand by species drawn from things, his knowledge would be indifferent as to things present and distant, and so he would be moved locally to no purpose. On the contrary, Dionysius says that the angels do not gather their divine knowledge from things divisible or sensible. I answer that the species whereby the angels understand are not drawn from things, but are co-natural to them. For we must observe that there is a similarity between the distinction and order of spiritual substances and the distinction and order of corporeal substances. The highest bodies have in their nature a potentiality which is fully perfected by the form, whereas in the lower bodies the potentiality of matter is not entirely perfected by the form, but receives from some agent now one form, now another. In like fashion also the lower intellectual substances, that is to say human souls, have a power of understanding which is not naturally complete, but is successively completed in them by their drawing intelligible species from things. But in the higher spiritual substances, that is the angels, the power of understanding is naturally complete by intelligible species insofar as they have such species connatural to them so as to understand all things which they can know naturally. The same is evident from the manner of existence of such substances. The lower spiritual substances, that is, souls, have a nature akin to a body, insofar as they are the forms of bodies, and consequently from their very mode of existence it behooves them to seek their intelligible perfection from bodies and through bodies, otherwise they would be united with bodies to no purpose. On the other hand, the higher substances, that is, the angels, are utterly free from bodies and subsist immaterially and in their own intelligible nature. Consequently, they attain their intelligible perfection through an intelligible outpouring, whereby they received from God the species of things known together with their intellectual nature. Hence Augustine says, the other things which are lower than the angels are so created that they first receive existence in the knowledge of the rational creature and then in their own nature. Reply to Objection 1. There are images of creatures in the angel's mind, not indeed derived from creatures, but from God, who is the cause of creatures, and in whom the likenesses of creatures first exist. Hence Augustine says that as the type according to which the creature is fashioned is in the word of God before the creature which is fashioned, so the knowledge of the same type exists first in the intellectual creature and is afterwards the very fashioning of the creature. Reply to Objection 2. To go from one extreme to the other, it is necessary to pass through the middle now the nature of a form in the imagination, which form is without matter but not without material conditions, stands midway between the nature of a form which is in matter and the nature of a form which is in the intellect by abstraction from matter and from material conditions. Consequently, however powerful the angelic mind might be, 
it could not reduce material forms to an intelligible condition except it were first to reduce them to the nature of imagined forms which is impossible since the angel has no imagination as was said above even granted that he could abstract intelligible species from material things yet he would not do so because he would not need them for he has connatural intelligible species reply to objection three the angel's knowledge is quite indifferent as to what is near or distant nevertheless his local movement is not purposeless on that account for he is not moved to a place for the purpose of acquiring knowledge but for the purpose of operation third article whether the higher angels understand by more universal species than the lower angels objection one it would seem that the higher angels do not understand by more universal species than the lower angels for the universal seemingly is what is abstracted from particulars but angels do not understand by species abstracted from things therefore it cannot be said that the species of the angelic intellect are more or less universal objection to further whatever is known in detail is more perfectly known than what is known generically because to know anything generically is in a fashion midway between potentiality and act if therefore the higher angels know by more universal species than the lower it follows that the higher have a more imperfect knowledge than the lower which is not befitting objection three further the same cannot be the proper type of many but if the higher angel knows various things by one universal form which the lower angel knows by several special forms it follows that the higher angel uses one universal form for knowing various things therefore he will not be able to have a proper knowledge of each which seems unbecoming on the contrary dionysius says that the higher angels have a more universal knowledge than the lower and in de Causis, it is said that the higher angels have more universal forms i answer that for this reason are some things of a more exalted nature because they are nearer to and more like unto the first which is god now in god the whole plenitude of intellectual knowledge is contained in one thing that is to say in the divine essence by which god knows all things this plenitude of knowledge is found in created intellects in a lower manner and less simply consequently it is necessary for the lower intelligences to know by many forms what god knows by one and by so many forms the more according as the intellect is lower thus the higher the angel is by so much the fewer species will he be able to apprehend the whole mass of intelligible objects therefore his forms must be more universal each one of them as it were extending to more things an example of this can in some measure be observed in ourselves for some people there are who cannot grasp an intelligible truth unless it be explained to them in every part and detail this comes of the weakness of the intellect while there are others of stronger intellect who can grasp many things from few reply to objection one it is accidental to the universal to be abstracted from particulars in so far as the intellect knowing it derives its knowledge from things 
But if there be an intellect which does not derive its knowledge from things, the universal which it knows will not be abstracted from things, but in a measure will be pre-existing to them, either according to the order of causality, as the universal ideas of things are in the word of God, or at least in the order of nature, as the universal ideas of things are in the angelic mind. Reply to Objection 2. To know anything universally can be taken in two senses. In one way, on the part of the thing known, namely, that only the universal nature of a thing is known. To know a thing thus is something less perfect, for he would have but an imperfect knowledge of a man who only knew him to be an animal. In another way, on the part of the medium of such knowledge, in this way it is more perfect to know a thing in the universal, for the intellect which by one universal medium can know each of the things which are properly contained in it is more perfect than one which cannot. Reply to Objection 3. The same cannot be the proper and adequate type of several things, but if it be eminent, then it can be taken as the proper type and likeness of many. Just as in man there is a universal prudence with respect to all the acts of the virtues, which can be taken as the proper type and likeness of that prudence which in the lion leads to acts of magnanimity and in the fox to acts of wariness, and so on of the rest. The divine essence, on account of its eminence, is in like fashion taken as the proper type of each thing contained therein. Hence each one is likened to it according to its proper type. The same applies to the universal form which is in the mind of the angel, so that on account of its excellence many things can be known through it with a proper knowledge. The end of question 55. Question 56 of the Summa Theologica Pars Prima on the Angels and on the Six Days. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Jim Ruddy. Summa Theologica Pars Prima on the Angels and on the Six Days by St. Thomas Aquinas translated by the fathers of the english dominican province question fifty six of the angels knowledge of immaterial things we now inquire into the knowledge of the angels with regard to the objects known by them we shall treat of their knowledge first of immaterial things secondly of things material under the first heading there are three points of inquiry does an angel know himself does one angel know another and does the angel know God by his own natural principles? First article, whether an angel knows himself. Objection 1. It would seem that an angel does not know himself. For Dionysius says that the angels do not know their own powers. But when the substance is known, the power is known. Therefore an angel does not know his own essence. Objection to further an angel is a single substance, otherwise he would not act, since acts belong to single subsistences. But nothing single is intelligible. Therefore, since the angel possesses only knowledge which is intellectual, no angel can know himself. Objection 3. 
Further, the intellect is moved by the intelligible object, because, as stated in De Anima, understanding is a kind of passion. But nothing is moved by or is passive to itself, as appears in corporeal things. Therefore the angel cannot understand himself. On the contrary, Augustine says that the angel knew himself when he was established, that is, enlightened by truth. I answer that, as is evident from what has been previously said, the object is on a different footing in an imminent and in a transient action. In a transient action, the object or matter into which the action passes is something separate from the agent, as the thing heated is from what gave it heat, and the building from the builder. Whereas in an imminent action, for the action to proceed, the object must be united with the agent, just as the sensible object must be in contact with sense, in order that sense may actually perceive. And the object which is united to a faculty bears the same relation to actions of this kind as does the form which is the principle of action in other agents. For as heat is the formal principle of heating in the fire, so is the species of the thing seen the formal principle of sight to the eye. It must, however, be borne in mind that this image of the object exists sometimes only potentially in the knowing faculty, and then there is only knowledge in potentiality. And in order that there may be actual knowledge, it is required that the faculty of knowledge be actuated by the species. But if it always actually possesses the species, it can thereby have actual knowledge without any preceding change or reception. From this it is evident that it is not of the nature of knower as knowing to be moved by the object, but as knowing in potentiality. Now, for the form to be the principle of the action, it makes no difference whether it be inherent in something else or self-subsisting, because heat would give forth heat nonetheless if it were self-subsisting than it does by inhering in something else. So, therefore, if in the order of intelligible beings there be any subsisting intelligible form, it will understand itself. And since an angel is immaterial, he is a subsisting form, and consequently he is actually intelligible. Hence it follows that he understands himself by his form, which is his substance. Reply to Objection 1. That is the text of the old translation, which is amended in the new one, and runs thus. Furthermore, they, that is to say the angels, knew their own powers, instead of which the old translation read, and furthermore, they do not know their own powers. Although even the letter of the old translation might be kept in this respect, that the angels do not know their own power perfectly, according as it proceeds from the order of the divine wisdom, which to the angels is incomprehensible. Reply to objection 2. We have no knowledge of single corporeal things, not because of their particularity, but on account of the matter, which is their principle of individuation. Accordingly, if there be any single thing subsisting without matter, as the angels are, there is nothing to prevent them from being actually intelligible.
Reply to Objection 3. It belongs to the intellect, in so far as it is in potentiality, to be moved and to be passive. Hence this does not happen in the angelic intellect, especially as regards the fact that he understands himself. Besides, the action of the intellect is not of the same nature as the action found in corporeal things which passes into some other matter. Second article, whether one angel knows another. Objection 1. It would seem that one angel does not know another. For the philosopher says that if the human intellect were to have in itself any one of the sensible things, then such a nature existing within it would prevent it from apprehending external things, as likewise if the pupil of the eye were colored with some particular color, it could not see every color. But as the human intellect is disposed for understanding corporeal things, so is the angelic mind for understanding immaterial things, Therefore, since the angelic intellect has within itself some one determinate nature from the number of such natures, it would seem that it cannot understand other natures. Objection to further, it is stated in De Causis, that every intelligence knows what is above it in so far as it is caused by it, and what is beneath it in so far as it is its cause. But one angel is not the cause of another, therefore one angel does not know another. Objection 3. Further, one angel cannot be known to another angel by the essence of the one knowing, because all knowledge is effected by way of a likeness. But the essence of the angel knowing is not the essence of the angel known, except generically, as is clear from what has been said before. Hence it follows that one angel would not have a particular knowledge of another, but only a general knowledge. In like manner it cannot be said that one angel knows another by the essence of the angel known, because that whereby the intellect understands is something within the intellect, whereas the trinity alone can penetrate the mind. Again, it cannot be said that one angel knows the other by a species, because that species would not differ from the angel understood, since each is immaterial. Therefore, in no way does it appear that one angel can understand another. Objection 4. Further, if one angel did understand another, this would be either by an innate species, and so it would follow that if God were now to create another angel, such an angel could not be known by the existing angels, or else he would have to be known by a species drawn from things. And so it would follow that the higher angels could not know the lower, from whom they receive nothing. Therefore in no way does it seem that one angel knows another. On the contrary, we read in De Causis, that every intelligence knows the things which are not corrupted. I answer that, as Augustine says, such things as pre-existed from eternity in the word of God came forth from him in two ways. First, into the angelic mind, and secondly, so as to subsist in their own natures. They proceeded into the angelic mind in such a way that God impressed upon the angelic mind the images of the things which he produced in their own natural being. Now in the word of God from eternity there existed not only the forms of corporeal things, but likewise the forms of all spiritual creatures, 
So in every one of these spiritual creatures, the forms of all things, both corporeal and spiritual, were impressed by the word of God. Yet so that in every angel there was impressed the form of his own species according to both its natural and its intelligible condition, so that he should subsist in the nature of his species and understand himself by it, while the forms of other spiritual and corporeal natures were impressed in him only according to their intelligible natures, so that by such impressed species he might know corporeal and spiritual creatures. Reply to Objection 1. The spiritual natures of the angels are distinguished from one another in a certain order, as was already observed. So the nature of an angel does not hinder him from knowing the other angelic natures, since both the higher and lower bear affinity to his nature, the only difference being according to their various degrees of perfection. Reply to objection to the nature of cause and effect does not lead one angel to know another, except on account of likeness so far as cause and effect are alike. Therefore, if likeness without causality be admitted in the angels, this will suffice for one to know another. Reply to Objection 3. One angel knows another by the species of such angel existing in his intellect, which differs from the angel whose image it is, not according to material and immaterial nature, but according to natural and intentional existence. The angel is himself a subsisting form in his natural being, but his species in the intellect of another angel is not so, for there it possesses only an intelligible existence, as the form of color on the wall has a natural existence, but in the different medium it has only intentional existence. Reply to Objection 4. God made every creature proportionate to the universe which he determined to make. Therefore, had God resolved to make more angels or more natures of things, he would have impressed more intelligible species in the angelic minds, as a builder who, if he had intended to build a larger house, would have made larger foundations. Hence, for God to add a new creature to the universe means that he would add a new intelligible species to an angel. Third article, whether an angel knows God by his own natural principles. Objection 1. It would seem that the angels cannot know God by their natural principles, for Dionysius says that God by his incomprehensible might is placed above all heavenly minds. Afterwards he adds that since he is above all substances, he is remote from all knowledge. Objection 2. Further, God is infinitely above the intellect of an angel, but what is infinitely beyond cannot be reached. Therefore it appears that an angel cannot know God by his natural principles. Objection 3. Further, it is written, We see now through a glass in a dark manner, but then face to face. 
From this it appears that there is a twofold knowledge of God, the one whereby he is seen in his essence, according to which he is said to be seen face to face, the other whereby he is seen in the mirror of creatures. As was already shown, an angel cannot have the former knowledge by his natural principles, nor does vision through a mirror belong to the angels, since they do not derive their knowledge of God from sensible things, as Dionysius observes. Therefore the angels cannot know God by their natural powers. On the contrary, the angels are mightier in knowledge than men. Yet men can know God through their natural principles. According to Romans, what is known of God is manifest in them. Therefore, much more so can the angels. I answer that the angels can have some knowledge of God by their own principles. In evidence whereof, it must be borne in mind that a thing is known in three ways. First, by the presence of its essence in the knower, as light can be seen in the eye. And so we have said that an angel knows himself. Secondly, by the presence of its similitude in the power which knows it, as a stone is seen by the eye from its image being in the eye. Thirdly, when the image of the object known is not drawn directly from the object itself, but from something else in which it is made to appear, as when we behold a man in a mirror. To the first name class, that knowledge of God is likened by which he is seen through his essence, and knowledge such as this cannot accrue to any creature from its natural principles, as was said above. The third class comprises the knowledge whereby we know God while we are on earth, by his likeness reflected in creatures. According to Romans, the invisible things of God are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Hence, too, we are said to see God in a mirror. But the knowledge whereby, according to his natural principles, the angel knows God, stands midway between these two, and is likened to that knowledge whereby a thing is seen through the species abstracted from it. For since God's image is impressed on the very nature of the angel in his essence, the angel knows God inasmuch as he is the image of God. Yet he does not behold God's essence, because no created likeness is sufficient to represent the divine essence. Such knowledge then approaches rather to the specular kind, because the angelic nature is itself a kind of mirror representing the divine image. Reply to Objection 1. Dionysius is speaking of the knowledge of comprehension, as his words expressly state. In this way God is not known by any created intellect. Reply to Objection 2. Since an angel's intellect and essence are infinitely remote from God, it follows that he cannot comprehend him, nor can he see God's essence through his own nature. Yet it does not follow on that account that he can have no knowledge of him at all, because as God is infinitely remote from the angel, so the knowledge which God has of himself is infinitely above the knowledge which an angel has of him. Reply to Objection 3. The knowledge which an angel has of God is midway between these two kinds of knowledge. Nevertheless, it approaches more to one of them, as was said above. The End of Question 56
Question 57 of Summa Theologica Pars Prima on the Angels and on the Six Days. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Jim Ruddy. Summa Theologica Pars Prima on the Angels and on the Six Days by St. Thomas Aquinas. Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 57. Of the angel's knowledge of material things. We next investigate the material objects which are known by the angels. Under this heading there are five points of inquiry. Whether the angels know the natures of material things. Whether they know single things. Whether they know the future whether they know secret thoughts, and whether they know all mysteries of grace. First article, whether the angels know material things. Objection 1. It would seem that the angels do not know material things. For the object understood is the perfection of him who understands it. But material things cannot be the perfections of angels, since they are beneath them. Therefore the angels do not know material things. Objection 2. Further, intellectual vision is only of such things as exist within the soul by their essence, as is said in the gloss taken from Augustine. But the material things cannot enter by their essence into man's soul, nor into the angel's mind. Therefore they cannot be known by intellectual vision, but only by imaginary vision, whereby the images of bodies are apprehended and by sensible vision, which regards bodies in themselves. Now there is neither imaginary nor sensible vision in the angels, but only intellectual. Therefore the angels cannot know material things. Objection 3. Further, material things are not actually intelligible, but are knowable by apprehension of sense and of imagination, which does not exist in the angels. Therefore angels do not know material things. On the contrary, whatever the lower power can do, the higher can do likewise. But man's intellect, which in the order of nature is inferior to the angels, can know material things. Therefore much more can the mind of an angel. I answer that the established order of things is for the higher beings to be more perfect than the lower, and for whatever is contained deficiently, partially, and in manifold manner in the lower beings, to be contained in the higher eminently, and in a certain degree of fullness and simplicity. Therefore, in God, as in the highest source of things, all things pre-exist supersubstantially in respect of his simple being itself, as Dionysius says. But among other creatures, the angels are nearest to God, and resemble him more. Hence they share more fully and more perfectly in the divine goodness, as Dionysius says. Consequently, all material things pre-exist in the angels more simply and less materially even than in themselves, yet in a more manifold manner and less perfectly than in God. Now, whatever exists in any subject is contained in it after the manner of such subject. But the angels are intellectual beings of their own nature. 
Therefore, as God knows material things by His essence, so do the angels know them, forasmuch as they are in the angels by their intelligible species. Reply to Objection 1. The thing understood is the perfection of the one who understands, by reason of the intelligible species which he has in his intellect. And thus the intelligible species, which are in the intellect of an angel, are perfections and acts in regard to that intellect. Reply to Objection 2. Sense does not apprehend the essences of things, but only their outward accidents. In like manner, neither does the imagination, for it apprehends only the images of bodies. The intellect alone apprehends the essences of things. Hence it is said that the object of the intellect is what a thing is, regarding which it does not err, as neither does sense regarding its proper sensible object. So therefore the essences of material things are in the intellect of man and angels, as the thing understood is in him who understands, and not according to their real natures. But some things are in an intellect or in the soul according to both natures, and in either case there is intellectual vision. Reply to Objection 3. If an angel were to draw his knowledge of material things from the material things themselves, he would require to make them actually intelligible by a process of abstraction. But he does not derive his knowledge of them from the material things themselves. He has knowledge of material things by actually intelligible species of things, which species are connatural to him, just as our intellect has by species which it makes intelligible by abstraction. Second article, whether an angel knows singulars. Objection 1. It would seem that angels do not know singulars. For the philosopher says, the sense has for its object singulars, but the intellect universals. Now in the angels there is no power of understanding save the intellectual power, as is evident from what was said above. Consequently, they do not know singulars. Objection to Further, all knowledge comes about by some assimilation of the knower to the object known. But it is not possible for any assimilation to exist between an angel and a singular object, in so far as it is singular, because, as was observed above, an angel is immaterial, while matter is the principle of singularity. Therefore, the angel cannot know singulars. Objection 3. Further, if an angel does know singulars, it is either by singular or by universal species. But it is not by singular species, because in this way he would require to have an infinite number of species. Nor is it by universal species, since the universal is not the sufficient principle for knowing the singular as such, because singular things are not known in the universal except potentially. Therefore the angel does not know singulars. On the contrary, no one can guard what he does not know. But angels guard individual men, according to the Psalms. He hath given his angels charge over thee. Consequently, the angels know singulars. I answer that some have denied to the angels all knowledge of singulars. In the first place, this derogates from the Catholic faith, which asserts that these lower things are administered by angels according to Hebrews, they are all ministering spirits. 
Now, if they had no knowledge of singulars, they could exercise no provision over what is going on in this world, since acts belong to individuals. And this is against the text of Ecclesiastes. Say not before the angel, there is no providence. Secondly, it is also contrary to the teachings of philosophy, according to which the angels are stated to be the movers of the heavenly spheres, and to move them according to their knowledge and will. Consequently, others have said that the angel possesses knowledge of singulars, but in their universal causes, to which all particular effects are reduced, as if the astronomer were to foretell a coming eclipse from the dispositions of the movements of the heavens. This opinion does not escape the aforesaid implications, because to know a singular merely in its universal causes is not to know it as singular, that is, as it exists here and now. The astronomer, knowing from computation of the heavenly movements that an eclipse is about to happen, knows it in the universal, yet he does not know it as taking place now except by the senses. But administration, providence, and movement are of singulars as they are here and now existing. Therefore it must be said differently that as man by his various powers of knowledge knows all classes of things, apprehending universals and immaterial things by his intellect, and things singular and corporeal by the senses, so an angel knows both by his one mental power. For the order of things runs in this way, that the higher a thing is, so much the more is its power united and far-reaching. Thus in man himself it is manifest that the common sense, which is higher than the proper sense, although it is but one faculty, knows everything apprehended by the five outward senses, and some other things which no outer sense knows, for example, the difference between white and sweet. The same is to be observed in other cases. Accordingly, since an angel is above man in the order of nature, it is unreasonable to say that a man knows by any one of his powers something which an angel by his one faculty of knowledge, namely the intellect, does not know. Hence Aristotle pronounces it ridiculous to say that a discord which is known to us should be unknown to God. The manner in which an angel knows singular things can be considered from this that as things proceed from God in order that they may subsist in their own natures, so likewise they proceed in order that they may exist in the angelic mind. Now it is clear that there comes forth from God not only whatever belongs to their universal nature, but likewise all that goes to make up their principles of individuation since he is the cause of the entire substance of the thing as to both its matter and its form. And forasmuch as he causes, does he know, for his knowledge is the cause of a thing as was shown above. Therefore, as by his evidence, by which he causes all things, God is the likeness of all things and knows all things, not only as to their universal natures, but also as to their singularity, so through the species imparted to them do the angels know things not only as to their universal nature, but likewise in their individual conditions, insofar as they are the manifold representations of that one simple essence.
Reply to Objection 1. The philosopher is speaking of our intellect, which apprehends only by a process of abstraction, and by such abstraction from material conditions the thing abstracted becomes a universal. Such a manner of understanding is not in keeping with the nature of the angels, as was said above, and consequently there is no comparison. Reply to Objection 2. It is not according to their nature that the angels are likened to material things as one thing resembles another by agreement in genus, species, or accident, but as the higher bears resemblance to the lower as the sun does to fire. Even in this way there is in God a resemblance of all things as to both matter and form, insofar as there pre-exists in him, as in its cause, whatever is to be found in things. For the same reason, the species in the angel's intellect, which are images drawn from the divine essence, are the images of things not only as to their form, but also as to their matter. Reply to Objection 3. Angels know singulars by universal forms, which nevertheless are the images of things, both as to their universal and as to their individuating principles. How many things can be known by the same species has been already stated above third article whether angels know the future objection one it would seem that the angels know future events for angels are mightier in knowledge than men but some men know many future events therefore much more do the angels objection two further the present and the future are differences of time but the angel's intellect is above time because as is said in decausis an intelligence keeps pace with eternity that is eternity. therefore to the angel's mind past and future are not different but he knows each indifferently objection three further the angel does not understand by species derived from things but by innate universal species but universal species refer equally to present, past, and future. Therefore it appears that the angels know indifferently things past, present, and future. Objection 4. Further, as a thing is spoken of as distant by reason of time, so it is by reason of place. But angels know things which are distant according to place. Therefore they likewise know things distant according to future time. On the contrary, Whatever is the exclusive sign of the divinity does not belong to the angels, but to know future events is the exclusive sign of the divinity, according to Isaiah. Show the things that are to come hereafter, and we shall know that ye are gods. Therefore the angels do not know future events. I answer that the future can be known in two ways. First, it can be known in its cause, and thus future events which proceed necessarily from their causes are known with sure knowledge, as that the sun will rise tomorrow. But events which proceed from their causes in the majority of cases are not known for certain, but conjecturally. Thus the doctor knows beforehand the health of the patient. This manner of knowing future events exists in the angels and by so much the more than it does in us as they understand the causes of things both more universally and more perfectly thus doctors who penetrate more deeply into the causes of an ailment can pronounce a surer verdict on the future issue thereof but events which proceed from their causes in the minority of cases are quite unknown such as casual and chance events 
In another way, future events are known in themselves. To know the future in this way belongs to God alone, and not merely to know those events which happen of necessity, or in the majority of cases, but even casual and chance events. For God sees all things in his eternity, which, being simple, is present to all time and embraces all time. And therefore God's one glance is cast over all things which happen in all time as present before him, and he beholds all things as they are in themselves, as was said before when dealing with God's knowledge. But the mind of an angel and every created intellect fall far short of God's eternity. Hence the future as it is in itself cannot be known by any created intellect. Reply to objection 1. Men cannot know future things except in their causes or by God's revelation. The angels know the future in the same way, but much more distinctly. Reply to objection 2. Although the angel's intellect is above that time according to which corporeal movements are reckoned, yet there is a time in his mind according to the succession of intelligible concepts, of which Augustine says that God moves the spiritual creature according to time. And thus, since there is succession in the angel's intellect, not all things that happen through all time are present to the angelic mind. Reply to objection 3. Although the species in the intellect of an angel, insofar as they are species, refer equally to things present, past, and future, nevertheless the present, past, and future do not bear the same relations to the species. Present things have a nature according to which they resemble the species in the mind of an angel, and so they can be known thereby. Things which are yet to come have not yet a nature whereby they are likened to such species. Consequently, they cannot be known by those species. Reply to objection 4. Things distant according to place are already existing in nature and share in some species whose image is in the angel, whereas this is not true of future things as has been stated. Consequently, there is no comparison. Fourth article, whether angels know secret thoughts. Objection 1. It would seem that the angels know secret thoughts. For Gregory explaining Job, gold or crystal cannot equal it, says that then, namely in the bliss of those rising from the dead, one shall be as evident to another as he is to himself. And when once the mind of each is seen, his conscience will at the same time be penetrated. But those who rise shall be like the angels, as is stated. Therefore, an angel can see what is in another's conscience. Objection 2. Further, intelligible species bear the same relation to the intellect as shapes do to bodies. But when the body is seen, its shape is seen. Therefore, when the intellectual substance is seen, the intelligible species within it is also seen. Consequently, when one angel beholds another, or even a soul, it seems that he can see the thoughts of both. Objection 3. Further, the ideas of our intellect resemble the angel more than do the images in our imagination, because the former are actually understood, while the latter are understood only potentially. 
But the images in our imagination can be known by an angel as corporeal things are known, because the imagination is a corporeal faculty. Therefore it seems that an angel can know the thoughts of the intellect. On the contrary, what is proper to God does not belong to the angels, but it is proper to God to read the secrets of hearts. According to Jeremiah, the heart is perverse above all things and unsearchable. Who can know it? I am the Lord who search the heart. Therefore angels do not know the secrets of hearts. I answer that a secret thought can be known in two ways. First, in its effect. In this way it can be known not only by an angel, but also by man, and with so much the greater subtlety according as the effect is the more hidden. For thought is sometimes discovered not merely by outward act, but also by change of countenance, and doctors can tell some passions of the soul by the mere pulse. Much more, then, can angels, or even demons, the more deeply they penetrate those occult bodily modifications. Hence, Augustine says that demons sometimes with the greatest faculty learn man's dispositions not only when expressed by speech, but even when conceived in thought, when the soul expresses them by certain signs in the body, although he says it cannot be asserted how this is done. In another way, thoughts can be known as they are in the mind, and affections as they are in the will, and thus God alone can know this, the thoughts of hearts and affections of wills. The reason of this is because the rational creature is subject to God only, and he alone can work in it who is its principal object and last end. And this will be developed later. Consequently, all that is in the will, and all things that depend only on the will, are known to God alone. Now it is evident that it depends entirely on the will for anyone actually to consider anything, because a man who has a habit of knowledge or any intelligible species uses them at will. Hence the apostle says, For what man knoweth the things of a man but the spirit of a man that is in him? Reply to Objection 1. In the present life one man's thought is not known by another owing to a twofold hindrance, namely on account of the grossness of the body and because the will shuts up its secrets. The first obstacle will be removed at the resurrection and does not exist at all in the angels, while the second will remain and is in the angels now. Nevertheless, the brightness of the body will show forth the quality of the soul as to its amount of grace and of glory. In this way one will be able to see the mind of another. Reply to Objection 2. Although one angel sees the intelligible species of another by the fact that the species are proportioned to the rank of those substances according to greater or lesser universality, yet it does not follow that one knows how far another makes use of them by actual consideration. Reply to Objection 3. The appetite of the brute does not control its act, but follows the impression of some other corporeal or spiritual cause. Since therefore the angels know corporeal things and their dispositions, they can thereby know what is passing in the appetite or in the imaginative apprehension of the brute beasts, and even of man, insofar as the sensitive appetite sometimes, through following some bodily impression, influences his conduct 
as always happens in brutes. Yet the angels do not necessarily know the movement of the sensitive appetite and the imaginative apprehension of man, insofar as these are moved by the will and reason, because even the lower part of the soul has some share of reason as obeying its ruler, as is said in the ethics. But it does not follow that if the angel knows what is passing through man's sensitive appetite or imagination, he knows what is in the thought or will, because the intellect or will is not subject to the sensitive appetite or the imagination, but can make various uses of them. Fifth article, whether the angels know the mysteries of grace. Objection 1. It would seem that the angels know mysteries of grace. For the mystery of the Incarnation is the most excellent of all mysteries, but the angels knew of it from the beginning. For Augustine says, This mystery was hidden in God through the ages, yet so that it was known to the princes and powers in heavenly places. And the Apostle says, That great mystery of godliness appeared unto angels. Therefore the angels know the mysteries of grace. Objection to further, the reasons of all mysteries of grace are contained in the divine wisdom, but the angels behold God's wisdom, which is his essence. Therefore they know the mysteries of grace. Objection 3. Further, the prophets are enlightened by the angels, as is clear from Dionysius. But the prophets knew mysteries of grace, for it is said, For the Lord God doth nothing without revealing his secret to his servants the prophets. Therefore, angels know the mysteries of grace. On the contrary, no one learns what he knows already. Yet even the highest angels seek out and learn mysteries of grace. For it is stated that sacred scripture describes some heavenly essences as questioning Jesus and learning from him the knowledge of his divine work for us, and Jesus as teaching them directly, as is evident in Isaiah whereon the angels asking, Who is he who cometh up from Edom? Jesus answered, It is I who speak justice. Therefore the angels do not know the mysteries of grace. I answer that there is a twofold knowledge in the angel. The first is his natural knowledge, according to which he knows things both by his essence and by innate species. By such knowledge the angels cannot know mysteries of grace, for these mysteries depend upon the pure will of God. And if an angel cannot learn the thought of another angel, which depend upon the will of such angel, much less can he ascertain what depends entirely upon God's will. The apostle reasons in this fashion, No one knoweth the things of a man, but the spirit of a man that is in him. So the things also that are of God no man knoweth, but the Spirit of God. There is another knowledge of the angels which renders them happy. It is the knowledge whereby they see the Word and things in the Word. By such vision they know mysteries of grace, but not all mysteries, nor do they all know them equally. But just as God wills them to learn by revelation, as the Apostle says, but to us God hath revealed them through His Spirit, Yet so that the higher angels beholding the divine wisdom more clearly learn more and deeper mysteries in the vision of God, which mysteries they communicate to the lower angels by enlightening them. Some of these mysteries 
they knew from the very beginning of their creation others they are taught afterwards as befits their ministrations reply to objection one one can speak in two ways of the mystery of the incarnation first of all in general and in this way it was revealed to all from the commencement of their beatitude the reason of this is that this is a kind of general principle to which all their duties are ordered for all are ministering spirits sent to minister for them who shall receive the inheritance of salvation and this is brought about by the mystery of the incarnation hence it was necessary for all of them to be instructed in this mystery from the very beginning we can speak of the mystery of the incarnation in another way as to its special conditions thus not all the angels were instructed on all points from the beginning even the higher angels learned these afterwards as appears from the passage of dionysius already quoted reply to objection to although the angels in bliss behold the divine wisdom yet they do not comprehend it so it is not necessary for them to know everything hidden in it reply to objection three whatever the prophets knew by revelation of the mysteries of grace was revealed in a more excellent way to the angels and although god revealed in general to the prophets what he was one day to do regarding the salvation of the human race still the apostles knew some particulars of the same which the prophets did not know thus we read as you reading may understand my knowledge in the mystery of christ which in other generations was not known to the sons of men as it is now revealed to his holy apostles among the prophets also the later ones knew what the former did not know according to the psalms i have had understanding above ancients and gregory says the knowledge of divine things increased as time went on the end of question fifty seven